There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the News Podcast number 654. Uh, let's go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. Yeah. What do you got, Katie? Uh, well, as you guys know, the two of the guys from Broken Lizard have a podcast on our network, Kevin Who and Broken Steve. Lizard? That's and terrible. Today, They're defenseless creatures. <laughs> today they launched their Indiegogo for Super Troopers 2. What? What? Yeah. So right meow? See, right meow. Literally, so, their they're like, they're slogan is, the time is meow. Fantastic. <laughs> I think they're only trying to raise like two million bucks. Yeah. Too. So if you guys want to donate and help out and see a Super Troopers 2, go to supertroopers2movie.com and that's the number two. Good. And you can donate right here, yeah. right meow. There is no other place. And the perks are awesome too. Like you get to go to the premiere or. Do you get to meet Jesus Jones? No. Okay. Well, there's still well, time. Good luck with we that. can add more things. Yeah, I mean, you know, they could trying to raise money for a movie if you're not going to introduce someone to Jesus Jones. Yeah. Anyway, um, I want to introduce Jesus Jones to January Jones. Oh, my God. Find out they're actually siblings. Jesus H. Jones! Oh, we should put that scene in the movie. Where Jesus and January... Well, Jesus Jones isn't a person. It's just a band name. I thought it was a guy. Mm-mm. I thought it was like... A, this is a Jamiroquai situation where I've been confused for a long time. No, it's, there's not a Jamiroquai person. Well, I mean... JK is the... In our heart... Okay. It's one guy they morph together to who's wearing a hat. What's your community corkboard uh, entry? I got there's a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Tommy Williamson. But yeah, there is. Uh, and he's uh, been a special effects guy for 25 years now. Good job, and man. And he is uh, retiring from that industry soon. And he's starting a website called BrickNerd.com that's already up. And he is retiring to focus on using all of his special effects skills to do movies using exclusively Legos. Fucking awesome. Like, that's the way to retire if you're going to retire. What is his name again? His name is Tommy Williamson. Tommy Williamson. Williamson, good job, man. He's a rad dude. I mean, that guy, you know, like someone retires and is like, oh, I guess I'm not going to do anything now. But this could be a whole other oh, yeah. amazing I went to his website life. and it's super inspiring. I'm like, oh, when I am his age, like, I, this is, this is what I hope I have this much, like, drive to keep doing stuff. You're going to get really to his cool. age a lot sooner if you don't quit smoking, you son of a bitch. All right. This episode is The Amazing Randy, James Randy, who uh, I've watched my entire life. He's been making stuff since before I was born. What's weird, though, he's been watching you, too. Oh, my... He could. That's his ultimate magic. He tricked me, yeah. That, like, he made me think that he was watching me. But uh, uh, James Randi, uh, magician, skeptic, uh, all-around brilliant man, uh, poopoor of, of fake sorcery. I found out after this podcast my favorite quote of his, which is that he said, when I die, I want my a- myself to be cremated, my ashes to be blown in the eyes of Yuri Geller. Yeah, so his movie is called An Honest Liar, and it's a documentary about truth and deception and uh, the life of James Randi, and who also kind of dealt with truth and deception in his own... Part. I mean, the, the documentary is fucking fantastic. Um, you should see it. Uh, Adam Savage is in it, Penn and Teller, Bill Nye... Um, uh, Davy Pena. Uh, it's it's a good. It's a really good, a good solid document. It's really interesting to watch all the stuff. 
And when he has clear-cut evidence that someone is duping people, that people will still find a way to go, no, but this time he's not duped. You know, like it is – I don't know how he didn't – I well, he doesn't really – he must have ripped all his own hair out. Like that's – I think that's what happened. I think that's what happened to him. But he is a lovely, lovely guy and uh, was a phenomenal guest and very open and very cool and true to his – True to his word of being honest, like he he was a he was I was honored to meet the guy, and uh, I don't know. It's just there's some people where you you know they just bury inside you, you know like they're just part of your molecules because you watched them a lot when you were when you were growing up, and it's kind of crazy that we get to do this thing where we get to meet those people. Um, here's Nerds Podcast number six fifty four with the amazing Randy. Now entering nerdist.com. Happening? Okay. I think we're doing it. I got the yellow microphone for some reason. <laughs> it matches your sweatshirt. Yeah, okay. We so want it. <laughs> it's very thoughtful. It's a mentalism trick. Oh, yes. Uh, he was just telling some pretty cool stories about uh, Johnny Carson. What, 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 what? Yes, yes. I'm sorry, since I just got here. Can you continue with the uh, Johnny Carson stories? Well, then I said to John. <laughs> so I says to him, I says. No, we were just talking about the fact that he used to smoke all the way through the programs. Yeah, what what year did that stop? Because he said to the end. But but oh yeah, he did it until the day he left the air. Really? Oh, I thought he had quit. No, no, he had a cigarette down there. The prop man would come out every break. Boom, boom, boom. Change the cigarette, exhaust fan, the whole thing. And, oh my uh, gosh! Well, one of the sequences in the film. Uh, you'll you'll see him. I saw it. There. I saw the movie. And, and you will see if, if you watch carefully, you'll see him doing this, looking up at the monitor to see when it switches to me. <laughs> so at, at which point down. he would go for the cigarette and do this. Jeez. <laughs> and then put it back in the holder, and the exhaust fan would pick it up, and he'd go right back into the same pose. That exactly. is a, that is dedication yeah, to oh yeah, and the audience would be told when they were all seated at the very beginning, before anyone came out on stage that Mr. Carson will be smoking during the please don't pay any attention to it or make any comments on it. And the audience a little surprised, you know. But then they would see it happening and whoa. I mean the the amount of power that that man wielded. Oh, well, yes, of course. That that was well, he was a different time. Was, yes, of course he was major. And I understand that there's a book out now about uh, Johnny that is not too flattering. They, they we're, we're picking you guys up on the microphones, by the way. I'm sorry. Of course. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. So and they. <laughs> yes, we yes. we've been rolling. So lean closer. Yes. No. That's all right. But they uh, they apparently are saying some pretty nasty stuff about Johnny, and I never saw any of what they're describing at all. Oh, you didn't see? Oh no, I I I, I did what twenty three programs or something with him over the years. From the, almost from the moment that Steve Allen dropped the thing, but uh, I, I didn't see any of that in Tony at all. In fact, after his uh, after his retirement, he used to call me at my office, and we'd have uh, interesting chat. He'd always start out by by apologizing. Uh, I don't want to take your time. 
How could John <laughs> take any of my Johnny, I'm real busy right yeah, now. Yeah, what do you yeah, need? Yeah. What's up? What's up? Quickly, quickly. <laughs> let me have it. But he would always apologize like that. And then he'd he'd talk for three or four minutes and he'd say, But I'm keeping you. John, it's okay. I've got the time, you know. What did he want to talk about? Just Well, he was astonished at the fact that he thought we'd wiped out Peter Popoff, the evangelist. Right. Who was doing this phony stuff on uh, TV. And we did for about 48 hours or so, because he changed any of his ministry. Right. He stayed in the same place. We just changed the sign on the ministry and the way it could be accessed. And uh, he would say, I just saw Popoff on television again. And I'd say, John, he's the unsinkable rubber duck. How many times do we have to discuss it? No, he'll always be there, you know, because there'll always be someone who will believe. And enough people to send him the money. Now, I don't know whether he still uses the same technique, because we exposed it. We blew it apart on the show altogether. Yeah, which is, by the way, so I did, I did see the movie. It's fantastic. And the whole, the whole sort of runner, at least from what I gathered, and you can tell me if this is not true, but it's um, how, it, the, but the whole movie is about deception, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in many forms, both professionally and personally, from many sources, from many from many sources, and the willingness that people have to want to believe something, need to believe, need to believe that, something. That's the the verb there, need to believe, because they really do need it. They don't just want it; they need it, and they get to depend on it, and it it forms the basis for how they exist in their in their lives. I mean, it's it. One of the most interesting things, and I remember this. I'm, I'm old enough to have seen you on a bunch of shows, through, like like some of the shows in the in the documentary. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a lot of those. And <laughs> yeah. so, what's really interesting to me is how violent people will get when, like, why why do uh, why do you think people are so aggressive towards? A reasonable someone coming on with a reasonable argument, going, "Well, this is what Uri Geller did, and these are the steps." And people going, "Like, how fucking dare you!" Like, like it's so yeah, mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you're and you're you're just saying, "No, I, I'm not saying that this stuff isn't possible. I'm just saying exactly that in this case, it doesn't like these are this seems to be the evidence." And then have people because they need so badly that's so much a part of their core belief system. Yes, and there's the, the other class of people too. We in, in many cases we would accost people in the audience who had been up on the stage during a faith healer's uh, session someplace in in a large theater or a a studio and we'd see that they had not been healed on the stage as they purported throw away their canes and whatnot and stagger off stage (laughs) barely making it Uh, and we'd accost them and say but you weren't really healed on this stage well, it's because I didn't have enough faith to see. Oh, and they'd yes. be walking with two canes and telling you this sort of thing. And then they'd start to walk away from it, and then they'd turn and say, but I still believe. Right. They want, it, want to be assu- you to be assured that they still believe that the Reverend so-and-so out there on the stage had the power and was talking directly with God. What an amazing scam that basically no matter, that even if you fail, that the people still blame themselves because they didn't give enough money That's or because right. they didn't believe They didn't enough. have enough faith. I remember seeing a, I feel like I saw a documentary with you maybe hmm, 20 or 25 years ago, but, but the... I was younger then. You are a little bit younger then, yeah. <laughs> but it had something... Was just a little bit. Yeah. But it had something to do with, and maybe I'm misremembering this, but... Did you did I thought you said you you did tarot readings in college 
and you started giving people the opposite uh, of what the readings said, and people would still find uh, a connection that, point. That, no, that's someone else. It, that wasn't you? It's probably Ray Hyman. Okay. Uh, professor Ray Hyman, who's a psych- professor of who's in the Who's in yeah. the documentary as yeah. well. Yeah, indeed, yes. And he did uh, readings of exactly the opposite, and it worked just as well. Because people read it. Now, uh, there is an example there of me appearing before a classroom uh, in Florida where I read out, uh, and I, no, pardon me, I didn't appear on the, there were two programs, uh, one week and then the second week. The first week, the instructor came out to tell his classroom of maybe 35, 40 uh, students sitting in a small classroom, saying that uh, next week, we're going to have horoscopes cast for each and every one of you here by a famous astrologer. And they, oh, yeah, all very enthusiastic about that, you see. So you give us uh, your date and, if you know, the time of birth and uh, the location, geographical location, and handed out slips of paper, and they all were handed in. And next week, uh, James Randall will be here. And I was, this is where I lived in Florida, as a matter of fact, and some of them had heard that I lived there. And uh, he'll hand out the horoscopes and then ask you your opinion of them. And uh, sure enough, when they came back the, the next week, uh, I was there and I said to, uh, good afternoon and whatnot, handed out, but they had their names on the individual envelopes. And I said, now open up your envelopes and read the horoscope. And then I want you to score, I, I think I said between zero and five, zero being no likelihood whatsoever, this being correct, and five being top rank. And so I handed them out. And then you could see people. I'm sitting there in front of the classroom looking down at these four rows of seats here. And people are saying, wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Getting all excited and such. I said, okay, uh, let's see votes by hands. Well, almost all of them were five right at the top. (laughs) Some, A few were four. There were no threes, twos, ones, or zeros. Now, very satisfactory, in other words. Then I said, okay, now everybody hand yours to the person behind you and take the one from the person in front of you. And the person at the end of the row come up and give it to the front row. Okay, they all did that. I said, now I want you to read these and uh, see what your reaction is, see whether that would fit you. It's exactly the same horoscope. <laughs> and it had things like you have extravagant uh, expectations sometimes in situations that you don't really understand. <laughs> who does that? Who does that not apply to? You know, uh, you have had doubts about uh, your your sexual identity from time to time, but you've managed to get around that. <laughs> Whether you're gay or straight, you, you agree with that, you see. And, and it went on and on like this. And then I would throw in things like, uh, since the moon is in Virgo, and the moon was nowhere near Virgo at that point, believe me. Virgo and the moon didn't know one another at that particular season of the year. Uh, and since Virgo was, is, uh, the moon is in Virgo and whatnot, and this denotes that. And I gave some hairy, uh, what is the expression? Half asked. Yes. Yeah, that's the expression. Yeah. It covers it beautifully. A uh, version of uh, why this this configuration of the planets and stars would dictate this. It hadn't, had no one bothered to look it up. Of course, <laughs> they didn't. And they were agreeing, agreeing. And there was one guy, uh, I think, second seat in the second row. Uh, there he said, but you haven't proven anything by this. And, uh, I, and I didn't quite expect 
that response because it was very, very good proof that people will believe anything that they think they should believe, that they have some acceptance of, or at least uh, some provision for the fact it may be right, you know. Do you think they? Do you think they? The people want to be deceived, or no, is it just they just need. want? They Again, just want to, they, they need. need. They need to they be deceived. Need that they need something supernatural, something magical. So they need an authority figure to say, "Hey, yep. you can suspend all of your yep. thought energy because it takes a lot of energy and it's very scary to yeah, think yeah, that, oh, yeah. that there isn't something." You're very good at this. <laughs> now, and see, the other thing is that astrology is extremely old, and all the astrologers say, "But this has been going on for." Generation after generation, as long as man has been alive, he has always looked up towards the heaven to find out what that means. It means certain physical things about the planets and stars and their configurations. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with him and his daughter or his lover or whatever. Uh, but they they like to assume that there's got to be some significance for that. No, not at all. Well, do you think that for some people that some of the things actually they do manifest because they want to believe it so? so oh, yeah, you don't know. They look for proof of it you right. see, as soon as it's predicted for so them. So does that make some part of it true or not? Or still not true? No, it, it means that they have associated it sure. that way. And look at the generalities I just gave you already. They'll say, you know what he said in the horoscope? That was absolutely true. <laughs> it, it's, it's come true. But astonishing. Well, you, uh, you're sort of a, a proto-hacker. In the sense that... Is that good or bad? It's good. It's a good one. <laughs> it's good. And, and it's sort of so... What happens a lot of times is that uh, because, you know, hackers get – hackers can, to the general populace, have sort of a bad name. Like, oh, hackers are scary and they're trying mm-hmm. to get all your personal information. But I think the majority of hackers are actually pretty cool and the internet exists because people tore things down to rebuild them. But something that a hacker will do is um, – They'll, you know, break some sort of a security uh, yeah, yeah, system sure. and then go to the company and go, hey, uh, just so you know, I got in there, no problem. You should probably beef that up. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And, and so, in a I'm sense, sure. what Houdini was doing, what you were doing is sort of, sort of like social hacking in a way and mm-hmm, going like, mm-hmm. here's how you do this. Don't okay. let these people fool you. Understood. Yeah, yeah. So, at what point did was it important for you to, and there, this is a bit of a theme in the documentary, at what point was it important to you to say, Hey, I need to show people that this is just for entertainment only and that it's not, they shouldn't be throwing their money at people who are using basic mentalism or, or tricks. Mm-hmm. So, what's your question? The question is at what point, like, what made you I, decide to, to oh, start exposing? That happened very, very early. Very, very early, as soon as I became a magician, as a matter of fact, as a mere youth. I was a mere youth once. Well, not, not so mere, but a youth, certainly. And uh, I must say that a fellow called by the, the place I was staying. I was living by myself in Toronto, Canada. My family had all moved off to Montreal, but I stayed behind in Toronto because I was doing nightclub work. And uh, I was fairly successful at it. And a uh, gentleman called by the door at the rooming house where I was staying, and my landlady came to me and, she said, there's a gentleman downstairs who wants to talk to you about a serious matter. I said, okay, I'll go and see him. Went downstairs, an ordinary-looking gentleman, and he said, uh, Randy, I've, uh, I've, I've seen you. I've been to the club several times, and I see what you do. And uh, though you like to tell people that's trickery, I know the difference between trickery and reality, and that's not trickery. 
And I said to him immediately, no, it is. I'm a magician. I'm a <laughs> mentalist. I, I work on people's minds to convince them of certain things, and I do it for entertainment. No, 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 Mr. Randy. I know the difference between reality and fooling people. You're not fooling people. So this is my proposition now. Said, I will pay you, and I think at that point it was $75 a week. Now, that was big money in Canada to me at that time because I was getting paid the equivalent of about $75 a week at the clubs. Oh, wow. Yeah. The comparison is rather mind-boggling, I would think you'd agree. <clears throat> and uh, I, I perked up at hearing that, of course, and uh, he said, all I want you to do is to take a racing form and look through the racing form, and if something gets your attention for any reason, the spelling of a name or a number or whatever, just check that off. And then turn to the next page, because they, they had the horses all lifted, you see, mm -hmm. on the racing forums and such, and when they would be racing, et cetera, what, exactly what time of the day. And uh, I said, yes, and what? And he said, it won't work most of the time. I know that. But there will be long shots that you will be able to pick up on. I know that. And I started arguing with him. I said, no, what I do is trickery. It is trickery with people's minds. And he, Mr. Randy, I know the difference between, etc. And, and he argued with me. He knew that it was real. And at that point, I quit. I, I, I quit the, uh, the, the conversation. I just walked out on it and said, sorry, no deal. And he kept after me. He pestered me. He had come from the United States, and he stayed in Toronto because he had seen me there, and uh, he was convinced that he knew, and maybe I didn't know that I really had the powers. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that astonishing? But, well, it is astonishing, but, but it's also... That's what really scared me. Scared me because I realized that maybe I was influencing people incorrectly, even though I said at the beginning and the end of every performance that what I'm doing is for purposes of entertainment. It's all good, clean fun, and etc. And but apparently that didn't convince a lot of people. Well, I mean, and it also I think speaks to your character that you didn't take the seventy-five bucks a week. No, oh no, I couldn't have done that. No, no, that that. I would be one of the evil ones. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it. what had never occurred to me before, having watched the documentary, was how is watching some of these guys that sort of that took those tricks and became like the evil ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. L like you said, that somehow at a certain point they realize like, oh, well, we don't have to just do this for entertainment. We could actually people will throw money at us if they think we have yeah. oh, some yeah. type of. Yeah. But the fact that people fall for it. Yeah. And not only that, they didn't get feedback from the people that they've swindled. And so many people over the years have called me or emailed me and said, now, I, I don't give any more money to Peter Popoff because you showed that he was a total fake. But I give my money to Reverend so-and-so now. Wow. And he's doing exactly the same <laughs> act in a different city, a different town, has a beard or whatever. Uh, they are determined to part with their money and with their, their, their faith and their security and all of these things. They're determined to be fooled, lied to, and cheated. Did you ever have any conversations with guys like Popoff? Do you did you talk to them ever? Uh, oh yeah, yes, from time to time, yes, <laughs> it, it, it has happened. And uh, well, Geller actually took me aside at, at one broadcast uh, that I was doing. He took me aside into the dressing room and into a, a secure room. He felt, and it was, 
and you wanted to make sure I didn't have any recording devices. Duh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, we, we should really give up this feuding thing. And I said, wait, wait, wait. Until you will decide to say, these are tricks. I'm an entertainer. And he shook his head and he said, no, no, no. They already know that. I said, no, Mr. Geller, they don't know that. And you know very well that they believe you. And I had, uh, I counted 130-something or other uh, episodes on TV that I, oh, I took days to accumulate them, where he says in so many words, I don't do tricks and I don't know how to do tricks. What I do is real. Yeah, I, yes, that's in the documentary. And even in the documentary, he yeah. says, because what I do is real. <laughs> and, and he looks so unctuous when he says that, you know. Uh, and and you, you know very well that perhaps, perhaps somewhere in a dim recess of his mind. I think there are a lot of dim recesses in there, too. Uh, maybe he does believe that some of the stuff he has done is real, because the feedback he gets from so many people is, oh, yes, after you left the studio, the spoon continued to bend. Duh. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of, you know, not really knowing him or some of these guys, but if they, let's just, let's just assume that maybe there's what one might refer to as a narcissistic personality disorder. That yeah, maybe yeah. it's some at some level, you know, the deception that they've managed to convince themselves, like, well, maybe this started as one thing, yeah, but yeah. now I, but now this is real, and people believe it's real, and so I know it's real. Like, you really think they still, they, they, they kind of think? I have always said that a man who doesn't know how to play the violin does not pick up the violin and play uh, a violin concerto. Right. Unless he knows how to use a violin. Right. So uh, it's not very likely that he falls into this art and can automatically do it without practicing it and having failed and failed and failed. That's the way any art like this is developed. And that's what they have to go through. Uh, like Sylvia Brown, for example, mm -hmm. and Jay-Z Knight. Uh, and Jay-Z Knight is still with us, I'm told. Sylvia Brown, I, I believe, is not with us any longer unless I've been misinformed. Uh, Sylvia Brown knew very well. She had to know what she was doing because her every word was based upon uh, the reality that she had created for these people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, no, it, it, it's calculated. It is definitely calculated. Not that they worked out a formula for it. Right? They just started to do it because I've got some very early tapes of Sylvia Brown where she just fumbles around like you wouldn't believe, and uh, but she she learned she learned along the way. She fumbled and made mistakes and such, and then learned what she could say and couldn't say, and get away with it. And did you feel like you had these sort of two separate um, careers in a sense, where in, in one sense you're a mentalist and you're an escape artist and you're do, you know you're you're entertaining people, but on the other hand you're also a crusader. You know, for, for, for reason and not, not being taken in by... Well, people would come to me, like the gentleman did who knocked on the door and wanted me to take the racing forms and do so and so right. and such. And that scared me. That really scared me. I thought, wow, some people will actually believe this kind of thing. And I backed away from that. I was shocked by it because I didn't realize at that point 
that many people were leaving that club, I'm sure. And uh, though some would say to me, they would wink at me and say, but when you told her her telephone number, that was the real thing, wasn't it? And I'd say, no, no, that's trickery too. It's impossible. (laughs) They think it's impossible. (laughs) But the fact that they had made application on a postcard to get a seat for this particular night because I was going to be in the club, uh, that gave me a a huge source of information. They had their telephone number on there. I could call them and find out, what, well, you know, I, I'm doing a survey, et cetera. And I did that so many times to get advanced information about <laughs> these people very easily. And they gave it up very easily. One case in Toronto, Canada, when I was just working as a, as a performer, a medalist on stage, I appeared before this huge audience in, uh, I forgot the name of the hall, but it was a, a huge place in Toronto, Canada, down at the waterfront, I remember. And I walked out on stage and started doing my little thing. I pointed to a lady uh, in the fourth row on the, on the aisle, and I said, the young lady with the, uh, with the fur uh, collar, yes, would you stand up, please? I get an impression that, uh, that you have something like broken roses. What does that mean? And she said, no, I don't identify with that. And I said, but, uh, I, oh, 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 it's on a... On a disc, a white disc. Oh, it's a clock face. And she straightened up. She said, yes. And I said, it's a clock face. And it, oh. And the clock is broken. The hands are are disconnected. And she said, oh, yes, yes. That's that's a a, a clock on my mantelpiece in my living room. And the the, the hands have fallen off behind the glass, so we haven't had it fixed yet. And I said, yes, and what are the roses? She said, there are, oh, my goodness. She said, that's true. There are two roses uh, crossed in a pattern from the maker. And I said, yes, okay, well, let's, let's not speak any more about that. I may have more to tell you. And I winked at her from the stage. And this is a huge theater. I guess she didn't see the wink. But uh, the point is that afterwards, she grabbed me in the hall outside. She said, how could you have known this? And then she was swept away by her friends with a huge crowd that was leaving the theater. And I never got back to her. But what had happened was I had sent my friend Terrence Kingsley Lawson, who's a student at the University of Toronto, I had sent him to do a fake tour of the neighborhood because she had written in and given her address. See, <laughs> and I knew her seat number. I knew she would be in the fourth row on the aisle. Oh, my God. And uh, I had gained this information from him because he sat in her living room and saw the clock with the two hands at the bottom of the dial. And he, he did a little survey wrote it down and uh, gave her a card and such, which was totally fake. And he walked out of the place and he came and gave that information to her. Now, I never got to that lady. I never got to be able to tell her that that's how I had done the thing because I saw she was obviously very strongly emotionally affected by that. And do you feel like you... But you didn't feel like you had a responsibility to tell her to sort of break the spell? Yes, I wanted to. I wanted to get to her afterwards. But it she, just didn't work. She wanted, and I tried to reach her afterwards. For some reason or other, I was never able to reach her. I don't know quite why. I mean, there's, there's, there is kind of an interesting um, region of danger with this type of thing, especially with the Alpha Project. Oh, yeah. Where... Um, uh, ran, uh, he basically... I'm telling Jonah. He basically sent two young guys into this program with scientists to sort of that they were parapsychologists 
and that uh, you, oh, the scientists were the parapsychologists. Yes, that, yeah, but these two that they were that they had psychic powers. That they called. had psychic powers, but it was all trickery, so that at the end. They could go, aha, see, you believed us and we beat your system and it's tricks. But it really, like, it, it, the, the way that they presented their side of the story is that they felt really bad because it, yeah. it oh, really yeah. messed people up emotionally because oh, it, yes. it essentially attacked their core belief system and also, you know, like, they obviously felt really stupid yeah. for falling for it. <laughs> yeah, and, but then the boys were very serious about that, and I agreed with them that there was a date up ahead, and I named the date, but we would expose the whole thing. And we did it for Time magazine uh, and on some television program or another, a uh, major, in, I think, an NBC program, and uh, it got astonished reactions from the audience. They looked at one another and I said, it's all fake. Duh. <laughs> they, they, the audience itself was, was astonished, and the kids had confessed that it was all trickery, and they explained some of the methods that they had used. And they're very simple. They're very simple. For example, that was the day when Polaroid cameras, at the very, very beginning, could make a double exposure. <laughs> now, that was ruled out uh, eventually in the, in the subsequent models of the Polaroid camera, still camera I'm talking about now, and... Uh, all it did, Michael did in one of the experiments, he wore a black shirt, and he took a double exposure, had a double a picture taken of him by an associate of the lab, and then he dubbed in a picture of somebody else's face on the thing, and it looked like a spirit picture on the black shirt, <laughs> you see, and he could do that in those days. And the scientists were... Falling over themselves. Look, look, look what you've done, Michael. And Michael said, "Oh, I didn't really. I didn't recognize that. I didn't notice it. Of course, he had noticed it. He had done it. You see, right? And even at that point, I mean, the the thing that I, the thing that is so crazy about all this is that it doesn't matter how many times you seem to say to people." This is how this is done. Yeah. It almost seems like more people come back afterwards and go, nope, we believe it even harder oh, yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is it frustrating to you that, oh, yes. that you haven't been able to convince more people? Very, very frustrating. And as I said, Johnny Carson, after his retirement, would get me on the phone and say, I just saw Peter Popoff again. And I, <laughs> I couldn't seem to get, get through his head. Yeah, they'll always believe, John, that... Because they, they need to believe. They don't just want to believe. They need to believe. Well, he was a magician too, Johnny. Oh, yes, and very accomplished. He never did it on the show. Which, I wonder why. Well, I don't know. He maybe was a little uncertain of himself, but he did some close-up stuff that, oh, after he, he had all the masters of magic on his program, yeah. <laughs> you know, over the years, for all those years, and he had the best people from around the world would, would do anything to appear on his program, and they would be happy to sit and, uh, and teach him different moves with a deck of cards particularly. He was quite good at it. And uh, he used to show me some of the stuff in his little white Corvette after the progress. <laughs> he would uh, get all the smoke out of the car, of course, for a second. He must have had a tremendous amount of respect for you. Oh, yeah, we got along fine. We got along fine, yeah. And I, I, I miss John well, a great deal. I, I, I can tell you that this is strange, a strange admission for me to make, but twice over the past years, I have read something or seen something on my screen, something that would interest John, and I would start to reach for the phone, and literally, as I'm doing right now, 
start to reach across my body for the telephone mm-hmm. on my desk and then draw back and think, I was going to call John. Oh, yeah. I've, had to, I've done the exact oh, same thing. Goodness. Not with Johnny, but... No, know, but, but I have is, done it. isn't that astonishing? And you think, what am I doing? That person is dead. Well, doesn't it... Doesn't it does the capacity that the human brain has to fool oneself... Yeah. Does that scare you? That sort of scares oh, yeah. me sometimes when oh, you yeah. think, you know, when, you, when, when people, for whatever function of their brain chemistry, are experiencing a different reality or, they, or, or their, their perception is so, because their, their, their mind is, uh, you know, altered in some way. It, it, it's kind of scary to think all we know is what our brain tells us. I mean, is our brain the ultimate deceiver? Well, for us. It is, yeah, for each individual <laughs> person, yes. And it depends on your background, too. You see, it depends on your educational uh, status and the atmosphere in which you were raised. Uh, I, I was raised, uh, well, I was the first of three children in my family, and um, I didn't receive the affection from my father, let's put it that way, that I might have. Uh, and I won't get into all the details of that, but I, I didn't have... Uh, a connection with my father, and that sort of made me a loner, and I was out on my own from a very early age. And uh, that, that, that sort of background, I think, uh, made me start to think for myself very much independently. And I didn't believe, uh, I, I, to this day, don't believe any of the religious nonsense that I hear all the time. I am an atheist, and I'm an atheist, uh, I can't prove that there is no deity. Right, And I don't think anyone can prove a negative of that sort. But uh, I have looked for the evidence, and I put that in quotation marks, uh, for a deity, and I have not found it convincing. Let's put it that way. Would you, this is sort of a strange question, but would you have traded... All your questions are very strange. <laughs> <laughs> I, take that as a, I take that as a compliment. Hey, there you uh, go. Um, is, uh, if you could have had a better relationship with your family, but it would have meant that you might not have been as much of a free thinker as you ended up becoming, would you, would you have, tra- like, do you ever, do you ever kind of go, well, it'd be really great to kind of, to have like a prefab belief system where I didn't really have to. No, no, I, I, I appreciate my independence and uh, what I'm doing this very day, as a matter of fact. No, I'm, I'm glad the way it turned out. I'm, I'm satisfied with it. It was painful, yes, very painful, to be running counter to the stream. I'm running upstream all the time, you see. Uh, not so much these days. No, I'm finding a lot of acceptance, and uh, I'm very happy for that. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change it. A lot of stuff comes out in the documentary that... Uh and there's even a piece in the there's even there are even sections of the documentary where you go I don't want this in, and it's in. And my girlfriend and I are watching. It, I'm like, oh my god, the director! What did he do to him? He's just he says right there, not to leave it at the end. It says, Randy gave us permission to put everything in. Yes. So indeed. what was the what? How comfortable were you showing off this side of yourself that maybe the rest of the world wasn't as familiar with? Well, I was rather surprised by the. Uh, by the confrontation I had with the producers at that moment because uh, the episode that's described, which we'll not go into any further, um, had just occurred, and it was due to me, and I was trying to handle it. And as I think you'll agree, it was a a very heavy thing for me to have to accept. 
And uh, it was so fresh and new to me that I didn't quite know how to react to it. And within hours, I called the producers and told them, um, put it in, because I said to you at the very beginning, warts and all, this is going to be the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had, uh, I had veered from that course uh, to a certain degree, and you will understand what I mean by of that. Of course. And uh, so I determined that it, it should go in there, and it went in there. And uh, I'm very happy that it did. Was uh, finally, was coming out to the world, would that, did that feel any different to you? Or did you feel like oh, people already knew or they didn't know or it doesn't <laughs> matter or I'm comfortable now? Or like, what, what was that well, experience? Well, the trigger to the whole thing was seeing the Harvey Milk film. Right. Yeah, with Sean Penn. That, that affected me. And I got thinking after that, uh, Wow, Milk was a hero. They got about a postage stamp. I haven't been on a postage stamp. <laughs> not yet, not yet. I, I'm, I'm vying for it, but you have to be dead, I understand. Right. And I'm not willing to go there. Don't far. do that yet. No, not yet, no. But uh, I must say that movie affected me greatly because I realized that there was a, a very noble individual uh, who was badly abused by the system. And there's been so many other people like this, or uh, Alan Turing, for example. Of course. Who is really the creator of the computer age. Right. Absolutely no argument on that whatsoever. And he was disrespected. Uh, he was jailed. He was... Chemically castrated. Yes, chemically castrated. Wow. And he chose that rather than prison. And uh, then he committed suicide. And uh, there are people like this. I, I want those things to be known. And uh, I, I think we should all know about those things. I have my heroes, and uh, uh, those are a couple of them right there. Yeah, and I think it's also, I think it's important when people like yourself that people already look up to go, hey, this is who I am, and that's okay, and you're okay if you feel this way too. Like, it's really, really important for people who are developing their identities to yes. know that it's not something to be ashamed of and that yeah. they should embrace it right away. And the reaction I got after coming up with with that on, on my, you know, on my page on the Internet. Wow. I thought, I, I just sat back and said, whoa, let's see what happens now. And I could hear the clashing of scythes out in the, in the yard, you know, and torchlight and that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, they were coming for me. No, that did not happen. And I am enormously pleased with the reaction. All I got was plaudits from people from every walk of life who said, wow, that was the thing to do. Congratulations. Uh, wow. That, that, now, it didn't really surprise me that much, but it pleased me enormously to see that I had been right in my estimation of what would probably happen. And I haven't regretted it for a moment. No, that's, that's I mean, it's, it's so incredible to have lived essentially in two different ages. I mean, I assume... Yes. When you were younger, it was like, well, you can't really, you know, like our culture. And in two different countries. I was born and raised in, in Canada, Canada right. and came to the United States as a teenager, uh, a late teenager, but I did. And, uh, no, the, the two cultures uh, were, were quite different from one another. And it would be unthinkable to have come out in those days. Uh, everyone would walk away from you and uh, take your, your telephone number out of their books and whatnot. Uh, if not come around and throw rocks through your windows. Uh, so things have changed, and in that respect, certainly for the better. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, but I can understand why, because I feel like you know a lot of the ideas we have about the way things work are formed when we're younger. Yes. And it can be. Uh, I think it's important to go back and sort of revisit your your beliefs and the way that you live your life every so often because you know things have, things can change. Oh, and yes. Maybe you feel differently than you used to feel, but you kind of have this. This thing that's on autopilot in your head, we go, yeah, that's not okay, that's not okay, that's not okay. And at a certain point, you go, oh, wait, actually, it's, it's fine. It's better yeah, than yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and that goes through a lot of people's minds. And showing the film, An Honest Liar, that has been a huge experience for me. Yeah. Uh, Davy and I, when possible, have attended uh, uh, the showings of it and done a Q&A afterwards. And the reaction has been so excellent. It's really been wonderful. And I get people coming to me. Well, we get people coming to us, what am I saying, uh, with tears in their eyes and saying, essentially, you made a big change in my life. You cannot buy that. Right. That is something you can't plan on and you can't buy and you can't set it up at all. That, that's the reward right there. And I glow when I hear that. And you can probably see me glow slightly in the dark because <laughs> it's in a dark theater. <laughs> and uh, I swear you could probably see it. My face lights up. I know that. And I shed a tear, too, myself. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so beautiful about the movie is that, you know, you, I went into it just thinking that it was a bad... I mean, I, this whole other personal... I mean, there are truths that are exposed. I mean, there are lies that are exposed for the truth in... Yes. It, but I didn't realize how personal the truths actually would get yeah, to be. Exactly. And as someone who was a purveyor of the truth, mm-hmm. it's it's still kind of interesting to see you in the situation of like, yeah, the truth is important. The truth is important. Sometimes it's really not that easy, you know, like no, to, no, to sort of like it's it can be a hard path, but well, you have to do it anyway. I can tell you after the Harvey Milk film, however, I had no problem with it whatsoever. I sat down at the keyboard and I wrote the... Uh, uh, the, the little note that I put in there, ending up with "I'm gay," yeah, and then explaining it, it in a few words. I didn't want to get into it in great detail at that moment, but I didn't have any problem doing that. No problem whatsoever. It was just uh, water off the duck's back. That's all there is to it. It, 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 it was a, it was the right thing to do, and I had said to the guys, you know. Uh, the producers of the film, I had said, uh, yeah, warts and all. And uh, you know where that came from? What? The warts and all expression? What was that? That was Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell had a very warty face, apparently. <laughs> and uh, he spoke to his official portraitist who wondered about that, and he simply told him, warts and all. Oh, show, and, him, the, show him the truth. And the official portrait does show enormous, ugly warts on his face. <laughs> I don't know whether they're exaggerated, but, but nonetheless, he, he wanted warts and all, and he got so, warts and all. Do you feel like that a lot of people's dissatisfaction in their lives comes from the disparity between this image that they want to portray to the world and being warts and all? Where yeah, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. it's like not, being, not accepting... And I don't just mean sexuality. I mean anything. Oh, yeah. Even, yes, even face words. Like, how, how do you have advice for people, no matter what their lot in life is, to help them better accept who they are and sort of deal with 
with the warts. You're not perfect. <laughs> Get along with it. Right? Yeah, do the best you can with your imperfections. We all have imperfections. Of course we do. Some of them we don't even realize. But... Uh, Let's get a grip on things and do the best you can. I, I'm a Spike Lee fan, you see. Mm -hmm. Do the right thing. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether Spike came up with that originally. I hope that he did. And I, I've liked his work down over the years. Yes, do the right thing. Now, deciding what the right thing is, of course, is part of the problem. But I think Spike Lee has, has done that in his career, certainly. And... Uh, I try to follow the Spike Lee philosophy. Do the right thing. <laughs> A James Randi joint. Uh, is it? I think it's. I think that sometimes imperfections actually are, are the things that are the most interesting about people. Oh, yes. Rather than being a liability it's like no that's this is a really cool thing that makes you unique that defines who you are and you should you you could use yes, that that can be and and it's certainly I'm in favor of that philosophy. I, I agree. What do you? What is your? Uh, do, what's your fear? Like, what, what sort of fears do you have? Like, what would you say is your biggest, you know, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Well, my diet. My doctor told me that my diet is very simple. If it tastes good, spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if it tastes like cardboard, you can have seconds. <laughs> and uh, at, at 86, I sort of, you know, no salt, no fat, as best you can. Yeah. And... Uh, I've been trying to follow that. I, I occasionally err. I have been seen with a salt shaker, very lightly applying little grains of, of white stuff, and it was salt. I, yeah, just salt. Yeah, it was salt. Sodium yeah. chloride, yeah, NaCl, it's, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I must say that I have, have veered from that slightly. But I, I'm doing okay at 86. Hey. Yeah. I'm, I'm walking. I got a walking stick here. I think I think you've noticed. Uh, it's pretty rad. It's a it's a it's a silver skull. Yes, it is indeed. And uh, talk to the skull. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I use this because if I ever have an altercation, I have to use this to defend myself. Yeah. I tell the officer, just look for a man with a reverse skull impression <laughs> on his head. You see, that'll be the guy. <laughs> and at each stage of your life, have you have you have you made the transition comfortably, or did you know? You know, like when you finally gave up um, doing escape work. Yeah. Were you, was it like, ah, crap, I can't, ah, I can't do that anymore because it's too hard on my body or, ah, thank Christ, you know, time to move on and do something else. No, no, I, I've had no problem with that. I, uh, I still do the occasional escape act on stage if someone really presses me like, well, what I say, shall I do it or not? And they always say yes. Of course. Because it comes for free. So they, <laughs> I do it anyway. No, I, I throw a little bit of uh, chicanery and uh, uh, magic, let's say, uh, into my lectures that I give, and I do them all over the world. I'm on my way to Finland shortly, and Italy, as a matter of fact, and uh, I have the, 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 the wonderful, the blessing of being able to fall asleep at a jet and wake up at the other end. Yes. Yeah, I, I miss the food. Great. I miss the food. That's the only problem. Well, it tastes like cardboard, so it'd be good for yeah, you. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. You see, you know. Very Been on a perceptive. lot of planes. Very perceptive gentleman. Yes, thank you. I have a bunch of friends who are friends and great admirers of yours and are constantly telling me about amazing meeting uh, in Las oh, Vegas. Yeah. Paul Provenza and Adam Savage and oh, yeah. Penn Jillette. And those guys are like, oh, you have to come to amazing meeting. It's this... 
Did you know about it, Jonah? No, I've never heard it's of it. Uh, it's this huge collection of basically skeptics who get together to exchange ideas and, and entertain. Oh, and, wow. You know, and Paul's like, you should come do stand-up. You should come do stand-up. And it's such a great audience. And, and it's always, every year, I always have another show booked in another city, so I haven't been able to make it yet. A likely story. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's totally true. I would, I would love to come. But what, do, what are your talks like when you go, when you go to Finn? Like, what, what do people... Come expecting, and what do they ask? Well, I have, I have a prepared uh, itinerary with subject headings on a piece of paper in front of me, frankly, that I follow, and I have to do that in order to discipline myself. Otherwise, I'd go on talking forever. Yeah. Uh, because, hey, in 86 years, I've gotten a lot of experiences together <laughs> that I can tell people about. But I try, to, I try to cover basic things that they need to know about. And increasingly, for example... I am plugging against the the anti-vaxxers out there right. who are causing uh, things like smallpox and measles to come back right. simply because they've broken the cycle. We don't know about smallpox. The only smallpox vaccine on earth is locked up in a vault someplace in Switzerland. Right. And we keep that because maybe they want to use it to find out more about it. We want to keep those little tubes in, in a deep freeze there in Switzerland. Please don't ask for it to be released, just experimentally. But measles, look at measles. And, and, and well, Ebola, for example. Ebola, pardon me. Uh, these things are very dangerous now. And there are prominent personalities out there who are preaching that, oh, this, this causes uh, uh, mental retardation and such in ch- Bullshit. <laughs> it's a, te- it's a technical term I use from time to time. Of course, yes. Borrowed from Penn and Teller. Yes. Yeah, although they didn't originate it, you see. It's a long story. It came from bulls, you see, but I won't get into the details. <laughs> the point is that these people are harming society. Right. Because they are convincing some folks out there who go by their celebrity, the fact that they appear in major motion pictures and such. <laughs> they should also advise them on medical matters. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That sounds incredible, but some people will believe that. Oh, he, he made a movie. Oh, well, then he must be okay. What he says must be true. I mean, it, 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 I, I can only imagine the frustration center of your brain when... <laughs> it's prominent. <laughs> <laughs> when you're saying to people like, here, A and B clearly equal C, and people are like, nope. And I go, yes, but it's right here. Here's video proof. I'm showing you proof of this thing. Yeah. No, you're wrong. Like, it's... It, well, I, it's, it's like the people that walked away from the faith healers meetings and everything. We'd accost them uh, with a microphone and, and a, a camera going and saying, but you weren't really healed. You still are walking on the canes. Well, yes, that's true. But I still believe. Yeah. That insistence, they can't be talked out of their delusions. They need them. They don't only want them. Remember that? That's the the verb that you use. They need these beliefs, these false beliefs. That bolsters them somehow. Is it, uh, do you think it's because it's too scary to think, well, we're, there's not really a reason that we're here. Yes. When you die, that's it. We're gone and nothing that's else. That's right. It is scary. Yeah. yeah. You're going to stop. You're going to die. And what you leave behind you is what's in books and, and films and videos and whatnot. And, and the, the written records that you've left behind and the impressions that you've made on people. Uh, but uh, no, I don't. 
I don't want to go to heaven. I know the people who think they are going there, and they may be right. (laughs) (laughs) I just know that I'm not really... I'm pretty comfortable with the idea of like, well, if I die, I mean, when I die and it's gone, it's over, I didn't know what it was like to not exist before I was born. I assume it will probably be a very similar experience. It is just, I think so, or uh, no experience at all. Or, or, or potentially no experience <laughs> exactly. at all. But as long as I can close my eyes, this is my personal outlook, if I can close my eyes saying, yeah, I think I did a, an okay job. Not a great job necessarily. I could have done better, but I I died at an early age, at eighty six. You know. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, I had, I always say when they ask me my age, I say eighty six going on a hundred, <laughs> because I am an optimist for one thing. Yeah. And I, if there is any such thing up there, I, I'm sort of appealing to it, uh, just very slyly. There, eighty six going on a hundred, please. <laughs> one thing. One thing I've never seen you do is. Uh, raise your voice or yell back at people. Like they'll get. I've seen them get in your face. Yeah, and go. You don't even know. And you just go. Look. Well, I'm just saying. I don't. So yeah. how do you how do you manage to stay reasonable in that type of a situation? You good. You have good video editors. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever just gotten up in someone's face and go, "No, fuck you"? Uh, not in so many words. No. Okay. <laughs> no. No. I. Uh, you have to know when to quit. You have to know when you have to back away. And one answer that I have that really infuriates a lot of people, sometimes they'll send me emails of several thousand words, and I, I go through them and uh, on the screen, boring, 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 boring. And at the end of the thing, I will send them an answer uh, from James Randi. You may be right. That's it. <laughs> and that infuriates them more than anything. Then I get them back six and eight pages longer. Oh, wow. But there are some people that are that are just so infuriated by that. And I, I sort of chortle when I press the send key on that. You may be right. What do you, uh, what's, what, what legacy someday, you know, do you, do you want, how do you want people to remember you? What do you want to, what do you want to leave behind? What, what do you hope people take away? Oh, I hope that people recognize that there was a guy way back then who lived to the age of at least 100. At least 100. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, keep that up. Yeah, keep that up. It's very important. <laughs> It'll happen. It bolsters, bolsters all of my hopes. Uh, that This guy lived way back then, and uh, he lived in uh, two different centuries and uh, two different millennia. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Hey. Yeah, one foot in each. Yeah, there you go. I mean, how exciting can life get? Uh and he tried hard. He tried hard, and he, and he won a lot of people over, and a lot of people were grateful for it. That's all. That's so it's all. not, you know, we, we want people to remember James Randi, the magician or the mentalist or, or, the, or the skeptic or the guy who tried to shed, you know, truth or reality onto, onto our culture. We don't refer to it as shedding it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Close enough for government. Revealing, revealing exactly. truths. Exactly, okay. Yes. There's not any one specific area that you hope people take away more than others? Well, just that uh, that it was warts and all, <laughs> for one thing. And uh, Oliver Cromwell can be thanked for that, if he ever did say it. But uh, no, I just want to be remembered as somebody who tried pretty hard and was tolerably successful. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I keep... Uh... I'm about an inch away from joining the Magic Castle. I'm not a magician myself, but I adore it. Yeah. And it's a place that I want to hang out 
all, well, all the it's, time. Well, it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful. Well, it's sort of a second home to me. When I go in there, I just uh, I look for changes all the time. You know, what what have they changed? Nothing in the bookcase. No, that's all right. And if you get a chance to visit their private library, I know I want to go in there. So bad. yes, indeed. Uh, I think some of my books are there, for example. <laughs> if not all of them. Uh, if there aren't all of them, I'm going to have a word with the Magic Cup. But no, it's a wonderful place, and uh, the proprietors are, have been very generous with us and very very helpful in so many ways, and we're very grateful for the uh, courtesies that they have extended to us. One of, the, one of our co-producers on the... T- the studio, the show that we shoot here at the studio is uh, Bellamy Blackstone, who is oh yes, one of the Blackstones. Oh yes, and I remember when I first met her, I'm like, you know, your last name. She's like, yes, yeah, my family. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. all wow. right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because her, was it her great grandfather? When you 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 tell the story about how you're wandering down the street and you go into this theater and Blackstone is performing. That's Blackstone Senior. Okay, that was the father of Blackstone Junior, Harry Blackstone Junior. And uh, the family has, has gone on, and they've used the name Blackstone as well. The original name, I, I, it just slipped my mind. What, uh, oh, goodness, I can't quite... It, it was a French name, as a matter of fact. But Harry Blackstone decided that it fitted on a marquee very well, and it did. Yeah. And, and, and it was... Oh, he had a lisp, you know. No, I didn't know that. Yes, Harry Cedar had a lisp. And uh, I can always get... A huge peal of laughter out of the Magic Castle if there's an audience there and I get to talk to them and I do my imitation of him when he did the Asdra Levitation. Now, that's the first time I saw him at the Casino Theater on Queen Street in Toronto, Canada at the age of 12. And I sat in the first balcony and he gestured this young lady onto the stage and he apparently hypnotized her to soft music. She fell over into the arms of the assistants, and she was laid on a couch. And he stood back, and he waved his hands, and he said, Rise, Princess Astra. (laughs) (laughs) And the music started up, and she rose in the air. I was transfixed. I almost fell out of the balcony. And the audience was silent. It was a matinee on a Wednesday afternoon. She rose in the air, oh, six or eight feet up, and he gestured with his hand as she stopped and the orchestra stopped. And he turned to the audience. He said, You see this young lady <laughs> suspended in the air between heaven and earth. She could remain should I wish, in that position, for a thousand years and a day, but in the interest of time and of your patience, I will return her once more to the couch from which she rose only a moment ago, Princess Azra, descend. And the music started up again. (laughs) And again, I almost fell out of the balcony, and she came back down to the couch, and she stirred, and she shook, and he went over to her with a smile, helped her to her feet, took bows, and the curtains closed. I immediately left the theater. The movie started up at that point. I didn't <laughs> care. I went around to the back alley, and I met Harry Blackstone, senior there, with his collar open, because at those days, no air conditioning in sure. theaters, remember. 
and he he welcomed me with a handshake and took me backstage. And I walked among the props. I didn't know what I was looking at. I had never seen a magician or a magic show before in my life. He took me to the dressing room, sat me down. He showed me a simple little move, which uh, perhaps when we finished this recording, I'd be even showing. What? Yes. <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't do well on radio. No, it's bad. No, it's no, it's, it's an uh, audio podcast. But uh, he showed me that, and I, I picked it up briefly. Well, he was quite pleased. And then he reached into the cupboard, came out with a large poster, very large poster, showing him levitating a camel. <laughs> and uh, it's a famous poster, a very famous Blackstone poster. And he autographed it to Randall. That was my first real, my born name, and uh, signed it Harry Blackstone. And he rolled it up, put a piece of string around it, put it under my arm. I said goodbye, and I went to the, to the streetcar, first of all, to North Toronto, and then on the bus, and I realized, I'm late getting home, my parents will be crazy. And I got off the bus, and I, I ran to the house, went in through the front door, and my parents were frantic. They were going to call the police because I hadn't shown up. And uh, I said, oh, but I I saw Harry Blackstone, and he made this woman float into the air. I went to the casino theater, and he gave me a... And I stopped. (gasps) I had left the poster on the bus. Oh, no. So someplace in Toronto, Canada... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's a very ancient bus still no. probably moving around there and it's no. got a poster rolled up oh. in the back of it. And I want that damn poster back. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I want that poster back and I won't settle for anything else. Did you ever meet Blackstone again over the oh, years? Oh, yes. No, no. From from that year on, my family always received four passes to the casino ah. theater every time he came back into town. That's amazing. What is it about magicians that, like, because when you meet a magician, they have a certain vibe. Is it because they, as a magician, you have to be a truth seeker? You have to be. No, 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 no. You don't? Many many of the magicians, many of the magicians disagree with my attitude altogether. No, they say that people like Geller should be honored to be a member of the profession. Geller doesn't want anything to do with them. They should not want to have anything to do with him. Right. That's my opinion. Anyway, that's my personal opinion. No, many of the magicians disagree with my philosophy on this. They think that uh, that the fakers should be included among the conjurers and such. And I think that's a very bad idea because we are honest liars. You mm-hmm. see, and I want to be one of the honest liars. Which, just so people understand the delineation, it's saying, I'm going to deceive you, and still doing it anyway. And then saying at the end of the performance, what you've seen was done by various means of trickery. I hope that you enjoyed the skill that was demonstrated for you. And uh, I hope that they they will accept that. Now, when when does the movie come out? It comes out Friday. Friday. The movie movie comes out Friday. No, you can say. At the New Art. It comes out at the New Art. Yeah. Oh, great. And then will it be available uh, VOD and and everything? It opens Friday in New York and L.A. and then rolls out across the country after that. And then it will be available on iTunes, uh, Amazon. You directed the movie. Yeah. Please tell me your name one more time. Justin. And Justin Weinstein, it was me and Tyler Meeson. Well, you guys did a great job. The the documentary is fantastic. Oh, yes. I, I agree. 
And I think, uh, and I think also a fitting tribute uh, to you as well, and also a, a kind of nice way to get to know you if people don't get the chance to come to one of your uh, to one of your seminars. So when have we started the recording? <laughs> oh shit! I just thought we were hanging out. Oh yeah, hey, why didn't you record any of this? Did I supposed to record be... this? Oh my goodness! I God, hope so. Damn it! Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you, and uh, and hopefully I'll get to. Your 100th birthday. Can I come to your 100th birthday party? Oh, yes, yes. yes. Okay. You're, you're welcome. You're on, on the top of the list. Can I have a recommendation if I want to join the Magic Castle? Can I be like, well, James Randi said I could be a member of the Magic Castle? Well, I don't have that influence, I don't think. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll give you a good word if they call me up and say, eh, okay. <laughs> I don't think he's going to murder anyone. Why not? Let no, him no, he won't kill anybody right away. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes, 7 o'clock, Magic Castle. Be there. Oh, oh wow. excellent. Yeah, you're totally invited. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, this is rad. Thank you so much. Oh, is that the deck of cards? Yeah, this is your deck of oh, cards. Oh, that's a specially produced deck of cards uh, by the producers of the film. There's all kinds of secrets. And after we're off the microphone, we'll discuss a couple of the small secrets <laughs> that are, can be found on there. And I'll let you find the rest yourself. All right. Well, we better go then. Uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.